Well, hey, everybody, my name is Marshall Peterson, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Bridge, and I'm excited to be with you right in the middle of our Abnormal series. We are walking through the book of James, and it it has absolutely been incredible. Now, before we get into it, I just want to take a moment and just thank you for your continued support and your giving. You guys have been so generous through this time that we have been able just to help so many in the community. In fact, one of our partners, Attack Poverty, uh, they've seen over 90,000 people who've been impacted by this virus, and they have served over 20,000 homes and a large part of that is due to your generosity. So thank you for your continued support and giving. But we are right in the middle of our Abnormal series and I am so excited to talk about James 4 today. Now we have covered a variety of topics in this book and if you've missed any of the talks you need to go back and watch them because we've talked about uh, faith and works and that's a difficult passage to go through. We've talked about how to have joy and trials. We've talked about racism. Last week, Kurt pretty much told you to shut your mouth. Uh, now there's a lot more to it, and it was pretty. It was an awesome message. But we've gone through so much, and I really hope that you get into the book of James and actually apply what is said, because so much of it can change your relationships. It can change your job, your career, uh, just really help you thrive in the world that we're living in today, which is tricky, obviously, because I'm talking to an empty room. But you're out there watching, so hi on the chat. Now today... Uh, we've got two more weeks in this series, and today is going to be really fun because we are talking about something that relates to anybody who has the ability to communicate. Now, we are talking about conflict. Everybody has conflict. Everybody goes through it. No matter who you are, if you know somebody and you have any kind of interaction with them, conflict is a real possibility. But here's the question I want to ask you, okay? The question I want to ask you is this. What causes fights and conflicts in your life? Because we know that they happen, but what's the root source? What is the cause of it? Now, before we get into it, though, I want to start some fights here online because you're on the chat. You're never shy about sharing your opinion. Don't be shy today because what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a couple pictures side by side, and I want you to tell me in the chat, which do you prefer? Okay, now here's the first one that we're going to get into. Adidas or Nike? Okay, now I don't have a lot of skin in the game in this one. You know, I prefer Adidas. I grew up playing soccer and a lot of my shoes were Adidas shoes, but I have Nike things. You know, they're great. Some people are more passionate about this topic. I could go with either. All right. What about this one? Diet Pepsi or Diet Coke? Now this one, it does strike a nerve with me because when I'm in a restaurant and I'm sitting there and I'm not going to order water, I'm going to get a beverage. I ask for Diet Coke and the waiter looks back at me in all seriousness, and says, is Diet Pepsi okay? What I want to do is look back at him and say, is Monopoly money okay? Because it's not. I'll just have water. Thank you very much. Won't be coming back. It's, I'm a little, I, I'm passionate about these things, okay? Here's the next one. All right. Kittens or puppies? All right. Now, if you choose kitten, and if you type kitten, let me explain to you why you're wrong, okay? Yes, now, on appearance, this kitten seems cute. Look at those eyes, that screams crazy. That screams, I'm going to scratch you while you're asleep, but then purr when you wake up because I'm just a psycho, all right? I'm a demonic being, all right? Now, this puppy, this is actually my puppy. This puppy is Ross, okay? We got him last week, and he is awesome. What those eyes scream, love, loyalty. I will never leave you. Humans, we don't deserve dogs. I'm choosing puppy every single time, all right? Now, here's the next one. Michael and LeBron. I think we covered this topic last month when we went through our 23 series, all right, uh, that we know that um, Michael is the greatest of all time. But just in case you still think you have an argument for LeBron, y'all take a look at this movie clip.
You're out of your mind. There is no way that LeBron will ever be Jordan. Nobody will ever be Jordan, okay? Okay, LeBron's a better rebounder and passer. Will you let me finish? Can you, can you let me finish? Call me when LeBron has six championships. Is that your only argument? It's the only argument I need, Sean! That is all the argument we need. That's all the argument we need. Six championships, okay? But let's go back to our original question. What causes fights and conflicts in your life? And I'm not talking about preference battles. I'm talking about legit conflict. Things that just rise our emotions. Things get tense and, and it just and impacts our whole life because of this conflict. Because it happens. I mean, think about your life right now. You can think about a fight that you had in the past, maybe a conflict you're currently going through, or a fight that you know is coming, and it just stirs up this tension. What causes that? And more importantly, how do we thrive in those moments? How do we get through them? Not just kind of, you know, grit our teeth through them, but actually thrive and get through those moments because they all happen. And what we're going to see in James today is that he's going to show us how to have abnormal, <laughs> sorry, I forgot where my signs were, an abnormal approach and a strategy to win these conflicts, these battles. Because when you've, if you've gone through a conflict, it is very clear that it is like a battle. It is like a war. And like in any war, we need to know who our enemy is. So what James is going to do in chapter four is he's going to identify three enemies and then we're going to look at an abnormal approach and how to handle conflict. So we're in James chapter four. If you got your Bible app, cool. If not, we're going to show you on the screen here. This is verse one. What causes fights? That's the question we ask. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Uh-oh, I wasn't expecting that. Because so many of us, we think that it's a circumstance, that it's something that somebody did to us. But what James is saying here, he's saying, no, 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 no. It comes from us. So this is our first enemy when it comes to conflict. Our first enemy, our own desires. Because again, we look around in our conflict and there's somebody that we want to blame. Something that somebody did to us. They caused this to happen in my life. And we think, well, that's not my fault. That this was something that somebody did to me. But no, 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 no. James is saying this comes from within. This is an inner conflict that we carry around with us no matter where we are, no matter what circumstance we're in. And it makes sense because don't we end up hurting the people the most that are closest to us? Let me say that again. We hurt the people closest to us the most. Why? Because our inner conflict is always with us. And it keeps going in verse two. Look at this. It says you want what you don't have. You want what you don't have. You want to know why you're mad at somebody? Because you don't, you're not getting what you want. James just comes right out and says it. Now, maybe you deserve this thing. That's not the, the, an argument that I'm trying to create. Maybe you do deserve it. Maybe you deserve that job promotion. Maybe you deserve this status and somebody else came in and swooped it and you're upset with it. You want to make a case for it. Or maybe somebody said something to you or they attacked you in a certain way or they betrayed you and you want an apology. But maybe that person doesn't even realize that they offended you. So you've just cut them off and every time you're around them, it's just tense. And there's just this unspoken aggression and hostility between you because you want an apology. You want them to say they were wrong or that they're sorry and you're not getting that. And so how do we respond to that? Look at the next part of this verse. You want what you don't have, so you kill and you covet. 
That escalated pretty quickly here. Now, James, remember, he's writing to a group of believers in biblical times. So I don't think he's necessarily saying there's a bunch of mass killings going on. What he is saying is that when we don't get what we want, we take things to the extreme. And I think we know that in the year 2020, things are very extreme in this season. He's saying when we don't get what we want, we take things to the extreme. I mean, think about your life. Think about things that you don't get. What do you do? How do you respond? What kind of post are you making on social media? What kind of text are you sending? How are you scheming to remove a certain person? Are you gossiping? Are you slandering? You do whatever it takes to get what you want. He says, you kill, you covet. To covet means that you eagerly seek something that you don't have. You see what you want, you don't have it, so you're doing whatever you can to scheme, manipulate, to get what you want. Because we believe if we get this thing, if we achieve this cause, if we get through this circumstance, that it's going to satisfy us. That's what we really want, isn't it? We want true satisfaction. We want contentment. And we don't stop until we achieve this. But if we're honest and we look at our history, we know that's not true. We know that that didn't hold much weight because our appetites are never full. I mean, think about a food appetite. We go out and have a great meal. I mean, that's why I love Thanksgiving because it's, you just eat all day. We have this incredible meal. You fill up your plate till it's ridiculous and then you eat and you're like, oh, you hate yourself because you're so stuffed. Take a little nap. What happens an hour later? I need something sweet, right? And then you end up filling your plate back up. Why? Because our appetites are never full. It's the same way with our desires. Our desires never satisfy us. So what does this lead to? You want what you don't have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Why do we quarrel and fight? Because we don't get what we want. And look at this last statement. You do not have because you do not ask God. Finally, there's a solution here. We're all acting like big babies because we're not getting what we want. And yet he says, you're not getting what you want because God is not in the picture. God's usually our last resort, isn't it? When we're thinking about what we want, God, we've tried everything that we can and we're finally like, okay, let me pray. Let me see if prayer will work. Well, James is saying, well, you're not getting what you want because you're not going to God. That's your first order of business. Now, it would be great if I were to pray and just say, yeah, if you're in conflict, just pray for what you want and then boom, absolutely. That's, that's the end of the message. Unfortunately, James has a lot more to say. Look what he says in verse three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Well, James, when you say it like that, yeah, it sounds pretty bad. But let me tell you something. He did say we can go to God. You can go to God with anything that you want, anything that you desire, bring it to God. Understanding the truth though, that sometimes God says no. Sometimes God isn't silent. He's just telling you no. And we get upset with that because we think, well, that's not fair. I deserve this. I, it just makes sense that I would have this. This will bring me satisfaction. But God says no. I mean, think about it. Parents in the room, have you ever told your kid no before? I mean, have you looked at your child and said, you know, no, that's not a good idea. We know why we say no. 
We have a logical excuse for telling our kids, no, no, you can't have ice cream for breakfast. No, we can't go to Disney World right at this moment. No, you can't have every new version of whatever Apple product that you're wanting. I mean, in our minds as parents, it makes sense. Why? Because we know that there's a reason. There's a budget reason that our kids don't know about. There's a logistical reason that our kids don't know about. There's a wisdom reason that our kids don't know about. And so we say no. So if God, creator of the universe, all-knowing God says no, he's got to have a pretty good reason for that. And a lot of it is because we're asking with wrong motives. Our desires, that's our first enemy. And it leads to our second one, which is this. Know your enemy, the world. The world. In verse four, look what he says. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So the world, our culture, is, our, is an enemy. When it comes to conflict, the world kind of slips in there, sneaks in there, and impacts us as we're going through conflict. And it's not really that our, God's attitude that we're an enemy of God. It's more our attitude. Because what the world has to offer and what God has to offer, there's such a vast difference that when we move towards the world, it's not that we're just getting more and more distant from God. We are actually opposing God. We are going against what God has for us because the world accepts sin, accepts our pleasures. We know that because a great theme in the, a big theme in the world says, do what makes you happy, follow your heart. But not, that doesn't always fulfill us because we're always left with wanting more. We always think that, well, if I can just get this, this will make me happy, but it always falls short. And God knows that truth. God knows that truth so well. He knows that the world and our desires will never meet our satisfaction. But he does know that his love does. Because this is what he says in verse five. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he, talking about God, jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? Now that might be news to you. It might be news to you that God is obsessed with you, that he is crazy about you that God loves the sound of your voice. He loves how you look. In fact, he's probably watching you right now. Not in a creepy way, in a God loving way. Let me explain it like this. I mentioned that we got a puppy last week. I've got one puppy, I've got three kids. My kids are constantly trying to get this dog to sit in their lap. So they're calling him, they're talking in baby voices, they're giving him treats and stuff that we're, we told them not to give, but they want him so bad. They are wanting his attention. And when he doesn't crawl into their lap and he crawls into somebody else's lap, oh my Lord, the saltiness in my house. They get so bummed and upset to the point of tears. My family's dramatic, that's how we roll. But they are jealous for his attention. When we choose the world, God is jealous for us. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to have a relationship with him, mainly because he knows he has so much more to offer us than the world or our desires could even touch. He says, choose me, I've got so much more. And last but not least, we've got our third enemy found in verse seven. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That third enemy is the devil. 
It says, when you submit to God and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, a lot of people have different thoughts about the devil, about Satan. Some don't think he exists. Some think he exists in this under the earth's crust in this fiery place called hell with a, a, a onesie on with horns and a pitchfork. But Satan is very real. Scripture talks to him, talks about him. Like he's the father of lies. He's the accuser. And he has a mission, which is to kill, steal, and destroy us. He doesn't want to inconvenience us. No, he wants to end us. This is a real enemy that we are facing when it comes to conflict, when it comes to life, when it comes to our existence on earth. But here's what it says. When you submit to God, resist the devil. All we have to do is resist him. And what does that promise? That he'll flee, that he will go. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Then why is it so complicated? Why is it so difficult? Why is it so many times we find ourselves in a rut or we find ourselves just in constant conflict and hostility with anybody that we come in contact with? It's because of our desires, our culture and the devil are all scheming together to make us struggle through conflict, to convince us that we're right, that it's our way or the highway. And that, here's the big thing. Now that we've identified our enemy, here's our second thing that we gotta do. We have to choose our strategy. We have to choose a strategy. Anytime you're in a battle, anytime you're in a war, you have to choose a strategy. And let me tell you, our enemy thrives when we choose a certain strategy. When we choose a certain strategy, they know how to attack us. The normal strategy is pride. Our normal strategy is to say, I've got this, God. I know what to do. I have the answers. I'm right. I deserve this. So you can take a seat, go hang out with Michael and Gabriel and the other angels. I'll take it from here. I'm going to go. I know what to do. I know how to scheme. I know how to get my way. I know the shortcut to take. I've got this because I'm right. They're wrong. Here's a problem with that though. Look at verse six. Y'all thought I skipped it, but I didn't. First, before we get into that, look at this. He says, and he gives grace generously. Isn't that comforting? I mean, is there anybody watching who needs grace? I need it. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what strategy we choose, he says that he gives grace generously. But when he comes to the strategy of pride, God opposes the proud. That's in direct opposition to God. When we take the, if you want something done right, do it yourself approach, you become an enemy of God. He opposes that. But what if, what if, what if we chose an abnormal strategy? An abnormal strategy of humility that says, God, you know what? I don't have this. In fact, I'm miserable. I'm ashamed. I'm angry. I fear my life is falling apart. I need you. I need everything that you've told us in the book of James. I need to know your presence. I need to know that you're here. I need to know that, that you are in control. When we take that approach, that's what submitting to God means. When we lay down our, our life and we say, God, you take control. You take the reins. You take the will. That's when, when we resist the devil, he can't fight that. The enemy can't fight this. In fact, he's scared of grace. He knows the end result when we choose grace. He loses. God wins. When we choose the normal way of pride, 
He's like, I can work with that. I can make their life miserable. I can convince them that they deserve it, that they're right. But when we choose humility and grace, he can't fight that. He's lost that battle. And James goes into what humility actually looks like. Look at verse eight. It says, come close to God. Look, this is awesome, y'all. This is a great truth. When we come close to God, God will come close to you. That's not if he's in town, if you make an appointment. No, when we come close to God, when we turn our back on the world and come to God, he is right there saying, yes, I'm here for you. I will come close to you. I will give you comfort. I will give you peace. I will give you wisdom. We learned that in chapter one, that he generously gives wisdom. And he's sitting there waiting. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James says, get rid of anything that has the world on it. Whatever you've got that, you know, we wanna just hold on to things sometimes. Like we want this relationship with God, but there's something about our past that we think will still bring us satisfaction or that we might miss out on. James says, let it go. Just let it. Elsa that thing, let it go. Because God in his fullness can sustain you, can satisfy you, bring you true contentment. And that's done in humility. And now he's about to give us either the worst pep talk or he's gonna explain our mindset when it comes to sin. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. James, what are you doing here? I'm already sad. Have you seen the news of 2020? What are you talking about? He's telling us, look, some of us are so wrapped up in the world that we are unaware that we have a sin problem. That we think there's nothing wrong with me. It's this person that's causing me conflict. It's this person that's causing me grief. It's this circumstance that's making my life miserable when in fact the true problem is our relationship with God because we're choosing our own desires. We're choosing the world. We're letting our guard down against Satan when in fact we have a God problem. Our relationship with God is in jeopardy because we are so wrapped up in the world that sin is just a way of life for us. And honestly, when people point it out, we just kind of shrug it off. So no big deal, YOLO. You only live once. I know that's like 2010, but it still applies, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about what people are talking, I have a problem about it, it's kind of funny. He says, no, 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 no. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. I mean, because do we approach cancer like that? Do we approach this virus like that? Do we approach tragedy and death with laughter? No. James says we should approach sin the same way we approach those tragedies, with sadness, with sorrow. Yeah, we need to be broken of our sin because here's, here's what happens. This is, this is important. We don't stay there. We don't stay in sorrowville. Because what sorrow does, when we're broken for our sin, when we see, man, I've been an enemy of God, I've turned my back on God, and I've got nothing but despair and hopelessness. When we break through that, where sorrow leads is to repentance. And repentance is turning our back on the world and turning back towards God. And repentance leads to forgiveness. God is faithful and just, forgiving our sins. He says, Forgiveness is always available to you. Remember, 
He is generous with grace. And forgiveness leads to freedom. Well, we are now free to live our life. That we don't have to scheme. I mean, when you're trying to manipulate and scheme and gossip, isn't it exhausting? Aren't you tired of it? God says, I can give you freedom. And look what, look what he promises in verse 10. Humble yourselves, be abnormal. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. You see, the end result of pride is sin and death, being an enemy of God. The end result of humility is being lifted up by God. Every time I see this verse, I always think about that opening scene of the Lion King when, you know, the, the monkey baboon guy, I'm sure y'all know his name in the chat, he takes the new baby male cub, Simba, and he holds him up. And when he holds him up, man, the music is intense and it's just dramatic and all the animals are flipping out and, and then they bow. Because what that symbolizes is a new era, a future, a hope, a purpose. When God lifts us up, it represents a new era. Our old life is gone. Our sin is done with. We experience victory. We experience purpose. We experience grace and freedom now where we are free to love. We are free to forgive. We are free to have joy and peace. It's a new way of living. So we got to ask, what strategy are you choosing? What strategy are you choosing? Because we all choose a strategy. I mean, is it this one where it's like, God, I've got this. It's not my fault. They're in the wrong. I'm right. I deserve this. I'm going to handle it. We see where that ends. Or is it the strategy of humility? Where we take a hard look and say, I'm mad for a reason. And it's probably not the reason that I think it is. It involves this person and what they did or what they said. But in fact, if I'm completely honest, it has a lot to do with me. So here's what I want you to do this week, okay? I've got three things to be battle ready. You gotta be battle ready, three things. The first one is this, recognize your enemy. Is it your own desires? Are you mad simply because you aren't getting what you want? Is it, you're, you're so wrapped up in this culture that you can't even recognize the voice of God? Or you're not even taking a, a, a fight and even trying to resist the devil. And he is just having a field day with you and your temptations where you are just giving in and you're in this world of addiction. Recognize your enemy. Have a long, hard look in the mirror this week and look at what is motivating your actions when it comes to conflict. Second one is this, choose your strategy. Choose your strategy. The end result of this is you become an enemy of God. And look at me, being an enemy of God is not good because Jesus wins. The battle has already been won. You do not want to be an enemy of God. So take your pride and be done with it. Wash your hands of it. Purify your hearts of it. And choose humility where we are lifted up. Where we are lifted past our sin, past our past. And we now can live in freedom. Choose your strategy. And last but not least, take your stand. Take your stand. And what I mean when I say that, man, get in your Bible. Get in the book of James, write down what it says and actually apply it. Because what you will see when you open this thing called the Bible, the word of God, 
and you read it. Read the book of James, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which document the life of Jesus and all that he did. It gets a lot easier to resist the devil. Because you might be thinking like, I don't even know how to do that. When you resist the devil, because you have humbly submitted to God, he will flee from you. And we are now free. We are now free to live our lives. Take a stand. So where are you? Are you taking your stand? Are you choosing a strategy? Are you, how, how are you dealing with conflict? Because there is freedom there. There is a way to thrive. And when we simply just say, God, I can't do this anymore. God, I, I can't do it on my own. I'm, I'm no match. I'm no match for these enemies. When you do that, God will lift you up and you'll experience freedom. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for making it very clear to us how we can experience victory in this life, how we can overcome conflict, how we can thrive in uncertain times when conflict just seems to be in our face every moment of every day. I pray that we would have the boldness to lay down our will and to, to just jump into yours, God that we would be completely open to you taking control of our lives because you are an all-knowing, loving God. Thank you for being gracious with us. Thank you for being generous with us, for being accepting and inclusive. Jesus, I pray that this week, who, whoever's watching this, that we would take the strategy of humility. Help us see in our lives where we need to be humble. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for love. And it's your name that we pray. Amen.